Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. So uh, as we've been working through the semester, we have been going through a series on foundations laid for us by the gospel. We have learned that our foundation is secure because of the grace of God, that our foundation gives us hope in our suffering, our foundation gives us freedom from sin, our foundation gives us the identity of children. And then last week, Pete shared with us out of Romans 12 about how we are to respond to this beautiful foundation God has gifted us through the gospel. So he shared Romans 12, 1 through 2, and it reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Essentially, the only rational response to the beauty of the gospel is that we would offer our lives as living sacrifices and that we would enter into this transformed life, this renewed life that we have through the Holy Spirit and we have through Jesus Christ. And so uh, I wanted to talk about what does a transformed life look like? And the thing is, when we talk about that, I think most of our minds instantly jump to something like, what does my worship life look like? What does my transformation look like? What does my renewing look like? But this is not the context of the scripture as we read it. We get a hint of it in the first line, I urge you brothers and sisters. You see, in our Western culture, we operate out of something that social scientists call radical individualism. Essentially, that we put our own goals, our own dreams ahead of anything that is corporate, ahead of the community, ahead of our families. Uh, It's the American dream, honestly. The Oxford Dictionary defines the American dream as the ideal that every citizen of the United States should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative. Basically, hey, I'm going to do my work, you do your work, and we'll both get what we earn. We'll both get what we deserve. I'll handle my dream, you handle yours. And we love the stories of the underdog who through force of will or some incredible talent rises above their situation and achieves something because they earned it. But whether we believe it or not, when we affirm that, we also affirm the opposite, which is that if you don't achieve, if you don't rise above, you deserved that too. You didn't earn it. I think we are in a beautiful and a necessary moment in our nation where we are having to reckon with the fact that the American dream isn't as simple as it seems. That in fact, dreams rarely happen in a vacuum. They require support. It's families who help you financially. It's communities where you're offered resources, whether that's sports or music or scholarship opportunities. Everything that transforms us generally happens in the context of relationships. That's where resources are shared, advantages are gained, encouragement is offered. The thing is, you did not come to UVA on your own merit. There were people all along the way who supported you to help you get here. Take a moment and just like think of someone who's someone who's part of your story. 
Who helped you? Who encouraged you? Who was a teacher who you loved? What parent encouraged you? We all got here because we are in relationship with people who helped us get here. And yet, because most of us here are kind of Western-minded, we probably bring our individualism into our faith. How can I transform? How can I achieve? How can I worship better? How can I pray better? But the thing is, there's some other beautiful benefit to our salvation. Yes, we are justified. Yes, we receive righteousness. Yes, we are on a journey with God. But there is another blessing, which is when you make a choice to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are also welcomed into a family, the family of God. In the Mediterranean world during Jesus' time, the family was everything. In your culture, you survived by your family. Their connections, their income, everything was communal. If you didn't have a family, you weren't going to make it very far. And in the family, in that time, the deepest bond was between siblings. To betray one's brother was the worst thing you could do. Did you know that in the scriptures, Paul uses the term brother or sister 139 times? He uses it in the passage that we have today. So often we look at our faith as individuals, and yet I truly believe that God wants us to look at our family. And that when we're talking about being transformed, when we're talking about the renewing of our minds, it's something he wants us to do together. So I'm very glad you're all in this room together. I think there's power in these moments where we meet together weekly. Because the idea that we would have a personal relationship with God outside of the family of God totally foreign to scripture. The idea that we would be transformed outside of the community of God is totally foreign to scripture. Whether we like it or not, we have been adopted into a family. Uh, I don't know if anybody in here is adopted or maybe you have a friend who's adopted. It's a beautiful thing. It can also be a messy thing. When you move into a new family, when you're adopted, you have to learn the ways of that family, right? I have a high school friend amazing woman. Uh, she was number seven of 12 kids. Yeah, the last three were adopted. Every single one of the boys that they adopted had Down syndrome. And this was the most beautiful family. I loved going to their house. It was absolutely chaotic. It was so loud. It was fantastic. They loved each other so well. They loved opera. And can I tell you, these boys learned how to sing opera. It was wild. And they were just so loved. And they picked up the habits of their family. And they picked up the joys of their family. And it was so beautiful to watch them be part of this family. Oh, yeah, that's them. So my friend is the one who's holding the fake bird. I don't know. So that's, uh, and yeah, beautiful family. Anyway, in chapter 12, we are continuing in chapter 12, Paul tells us, what it looks like to live in the family of God. I want to talk about three characteristics that as we're adopted, that we are learning from the community of God. Oh, you can change it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about three characteristics of family life. But as we think about family life, I know we've just come from Thanksgiving, but, and I know like most of us are visual people. We try to imagine it in a context. I don't want you to think of your family when you try to think of this family because uh, the reality is Paul isn't speaking to uh, like one family. He's speaking actually to a church that was incredibly divided. It had Jewish believers, it had Gentile believers, and they were trying to worship together. It's like a, um, 
if we took everybody in here and we just shoved all your families together for Thanksgiving. It's that kind of Thanksgiving. That's what we're talking about, where you have the turkey next to the jollof rice, next to the empanadas, next to the whatever else that you have at your Thanksgiving. Anything good? Yeah, okay, great. Lots of lovely things. And you put it all on the table, and we're all trying to eat it, and we're all tasting new things, and it's all of our cultures, and some people want to watch the parade, and some people want to watch the dog show, and some people want to go shopping. And my family does sing-alongs. Like, we get out the guitar, and we have an actual book of songs you're supposed to learn, like Country Roads is in there. <laughs> like, um, and we do sing-alongs for hours. Um, it's like you take every Thanksgiving tradition and you shove it together and you say, now you're a family, this is how you live together. This beautiful, multicultural, multi-social economic, multi-faceted, multi-impassioned group of people. That is what we're talking about tonight. What does it look like to be adopted into that family Uh, And so we will be in Romans 12, continuing from where Pete shared last week. Yeah, great. Uh, So chapter 12, verse 3 through 21. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Anybody have the gift of prophecy? No? Uh, Don't worry. You do. You don't know it yet. Uh, If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The first way of God that I want to demonstrate, the first family trait, is that we share. To Paul, to be a family is not to have an assortment of individuals. It is to be so close, so interdependent, that metaphorically we are one body. And in that body, we all have something to share and we all have something to receive. Part of this is physically. Think of a human body. You eat food, one part of it digests, one part of it transmits nutrients to other parts of the body. Or your lungs. Your lungs pull in oxygen, but different parts of the body help disperse that oxygen everywhere. It's a system. Every part has its place. But what if the lungs said, no, this air is mine. I took it in. I get to decide what to do with it. I earned it. Or what if the intestines stop transferring nutrients? When resources do not flow from the body into other parts, uh, the body begins to die. This is a system that is very intricate. Some of you in this room will be blessed with resources. Your businesses, your bank accounts will overflow And God gives us the scriptures to remind us that this is not considered our overflow. We are a conduit for blessing to the entire body. We are called to give. We are called to be part of this process that brings health to everyone. There's this cool phrase um, that I really liked. I think I probably heard it from Pete. When you get a raise, you can either raise your standard of living or your standard of giving. Um, I, I know that's good, right? Can I raise your standard of living or your standard of... Yeah, go Pete. Um, <laughs> so I heard in my last sermon that some of the guys felt a little called out. That was not my intention, but I thought that I'd uh, come back and uh, maybe help you out this time with a little tip. So when I was a student, there was this guy. He was 
nice, kind of very humble, kind of quiet, a little bit awkward. And I remember one time he was just like speaking from his heart and he said, you know, I really want to reverse tithe. We were all like, what's that? He's like, it's where, like, I know I'm going to make money. I know what my major is. I know what sort of job I can have. I want to live on 10% and give away 90. Can I tell you, he had six girls instantly who wanted to date him. <laughs> Just a tip. Semi-formal's coming up. I don't know. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, sharing is also about more than resources, though. The passage actually leans into the fact that we are to share our gifts and our talents. God uniquely makes each one of us, and we have something to bring to the family of God. We also have something to receive from the family of God. Think about your core group. Some of you are musically talented, and God wants you to offer your music talent in worship. Can I hear any core group leaders say amen? (laughs) A few of you are talented, but some of you are not. Um, It's okay. It's okay. We all have different gifts. Um, Some of you are good at event planning. And the thing is, I lost you, I lost you, I'm so sorry, pull it back in. Uh, Some of you are good at event planning, and the reality is, you know that some of the guys or the girls in your core group are really struggling, maybe they've started to pull back. How about you plan something that would be hospitable to them? How about you step out and invite? Or uh, maybe it's a passion for giving. Some of you really want to see our community give back. to to Charlottesville, to whatever it would be. Please, start something in your core group. Start something in your family. God has given us different gifts, and we are better as a whole when we're all bringing those gifts to the body. But I want to caution us here, too. Anybody have siblings? Yep, most of us, okay. Um, When you have siblings, do you know that there will be sibling rivalry? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So I find that it generally tends to drift in one of two directions. The first one is competition. The second one is comparison. (laughs) I love when it hits. Um, Competition. You guys know what this is. It's when you are trying to be the best. It's when you're trying to be the one who has all the success in life, the money, the family, whatever it would be. It's when you don't want to be the cousin at Thanksgiving who doesn't have a new job or a new baby to share, right? and they keep asking you, what's your major? And you keep saying, I don't know yet. That was me at Thanksgiving when I was a student. Um, And the thing is about competition, it keeps us from loving one another. You guys have heard before, we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Competition makes you do the opposite. Because when someone's struggling, guess what? It means the aunts like me better. Or when someone succeeds, man, now they're higher in the family pecking order. This is not what the family of God looks like. And if any of you have found in yourselves that secret desire or that secret action to try to be the funniest or the holiest or the coolest in your core group night, right now, like this night, is the time to repent. Whoever that's for. Great. Uh, You don't get an ooh on that one. Uh, (laughs) Second, comparison. When we compare, we always lose. Always. I want you to imagine something. Say you have five friends, or let's say you have five coworkers, and you're sitting in your office and you think, man, they're all so talented. I wish I was peaceful and patient like Blair. Or look at Amanda. Man, I wish I had her technical mind. She understands systems so well. I wish I was more of a natural evangelist like Bradley. 
I do. <laughs> I wish I was more creative like John. I wish I was a communicator like Pete. It goes on and on and on. And the thing is, what I have done is I've created a composite person who has all of the skills instead of the fact that, like, nobody can be that, right? Like, there is nobody who can live up to that image. When we compare, inevitably, we are comparing ourselves not against another human, but against Jesus himself. Because when we all bring our gifts to the body, it's like one of those pictures where it's like made up of a thousand little photos, you know? And then it like forms the big photo. I don't know. I wasn't in graphic design. But it's like we all bring ourselves and then the big picture is who we always compare ourselves to. But we're not meant to do it on our own. We're meant to do it together. So let's not be people who compete. Let's not be people who compare. Let's be people who honor the gift we've been given and use it. Sound good? Share your gifts. Next, uh, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. The second trait of the family of God is that we care for one another. If sharing is about giving our resources and our gifts, caring is about giving our lives. It's about giving our hearts to one another. Let's break it down. Uh, In here it says, be devoted to one another in love. What would it look like to devote yourself to your core group? What would it look like? Um, It might look like there's a week where you don't really want to come but you decide to because you want to bless the others because they might be having a hard, work, hard week and it means something if you come. Or maybe um, it's thinking about people outside of when you see them normally. It's thinking, do they need a meal? Do they need a friend? Do they need someone to reach out? How can we be devoted to one another in love, looking for opportunities to love one another? Um, you can imagine it as how could core group look different if you truly saw all those guys or all those girls as your siblings? And I know you raised your hands, a lot of you have them. What would it look like at UVA if you just had five brothers at UVA? (laughs) I hope you would see each other. I hope you would share meals. I hope you would play video games. I hope you would laugh together. How different the community of God could look if we didn't see Bible studies as a way of night, but we saw each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? Like how beautiful that could be if we just loved each other well. Scripture also says, honor one another above yourselves. This is about being willing to put other people's good before our own. We have a lot of people who are carrying burdens. And so to honor them above ourselves is to say, you know what, I know that it means sacrifice to me, but let me carry some of your burden. And I've seen this happen in our fellowship. Like, you guys, you guys know this. You know to love each other. You know to honor one another. I've seen it happen so many times. It's the girl who makes her bedroom a double so that her friend can afford to live in a house. It is the guy who drove two states away to bring his friend to the airport his parents bought tickets from. It is, um, we had this core group leader who um, was graduating, but he had this guy in his core group this first year, and he knew that this guy came from a background where finances were a little difficult. And so instead of leaning into having a better car or a new laptop for work, he wrote a check and gave it to Pete and said, this is for all of Tim's retreats for the rest of his time in Chi Alpha. That, that money was a way to honor someone else above himself. 
not to a stranger, but because of relationship, like that he loved his brother and he wanted his brother to have those moments of encountering the Lord. Dare I say, I wrote this one, I, I put it in red because I wasn't sure if I was going to share it. It is also cleaning your housemate's dishes. I know a lot of you struggle with this. Um, I know a lot of you struggle with this. I get it. I get it. I get it. But can I tell you, people's stress is generally demonstrated through their mess. Like, you know that, right? Like, mess, the inability to clean up your spaces, that, like, like that inability to fix things or to do what you know you have to do is generally a symptom of things like anxiety and depression. Like, can we have empathy where instead of getting frustrated, we can think about, how can I just bless them this week? And yes, I've done it five times, but if this is my way to love her, I want to love her. And you know what? You're looking at it anyway, waiting for her to do it. So what would it look like to truly honor her above yourself? Yes, she should do the dishes. Yes, he should do the dishes. But if I can step in and love them, why wouldn't I do it? Some people are like smiling and some people look really, really serious and I don't know how it went. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Next. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Um, This is still under care. These are just different ways that we can do it. Paul tells us a little bit about what it looks like to love sincerely. The next thing is to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Um, This uh, is one of those things where when we really love someone, sometimes it means that we have to contend for the good in their life. Uh, So that means we sometimes need to have some hard conversations. Um, In Chi Alpha, we like to call this carefrontation instead of confrontation. Because uh, Proverbs 27.6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Do we believe the best in our friends? Do we believe that they can transform? Do we believe that God has better for them? And that maybe they just need someone to say, I am here, I love you, I cannot leave you in this place, please. Um, Some of you are a little too excited. You're fired up. You're like, great, biblical permission to go tell them everything that they really need to change. Um, If you really want to care from someone, you probably need to pray more until you like kind of don't want to, but you can like do it out of love in your heart. So if you're too fired up, breathe. Um, But truly, there are times where you're going to have to, out of love, put your friend's future before their potentially hurt feelings. That if you love them enough, you're willing to put your friendship on the altar of their potential holiness, right? How can we love one another like that? Not a false love where it's about just having a good time, but the sort of love that believes that they can be healthy and good. Side note, you also have to be able to be confronted in the family of God. So uh, also, if that's something you struggle with, I encourage you to open your heart to the fact that you are not perfect, that you need to receive carefrontation, that there are things that you can grow in, and that there are places that your friends believe for more for you. And they want to encourage you. They want to challenge you. They want to step into that. Sound good? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Got more nods on the second. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue on to our third point, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, The final way, the final trait of God's family, the way we are to live, is to bear with one another's weaknesses, one another's sins. Yeah, they rhyme. Um, It's to help you remember. It'll help. I'm not trying to be cutesy. It will help. Um, This is such a beautiful point about the family of God. This is such a lovely thing. I know that it's like not the most fun thing, but it's the most beautiful thing. Can I tell you that? Verses 17 and 19 say, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. And I think a lot of the time Christians look at this verse and they're like, how can I love my non-Christian friends? How can I just like, you know, get past their shortcomings and get into their world and just love them well? And the thing is, I do want you to do that. That's a very good thing to do. Please don't stop doing that. But the context of the passage and the context of the book is a lot more about how to love Christians who hurt you. To talk about Christians that are just driving you crazy. Um, Here's what I know. Living in a house with brothers and sisters in the Lord, at some point there will be conflict. (laughs) I didn't expect to laugh. (laughs) Uh, There's a characteristic of health, like, right, right, like you, right, like there's going to be conflict. We're broken people. It's not just the dishes. There will be times where you legitimately hurt someone or someone legitimately hurts you by the words that they said or by the thing that they did. And in that moment, do you know what healthy families do? They pursue unity as quickly as possible. They're willing to forgive one another. They're willing to step into the pain. They're willing to put their love for their brother or their sister above their hurt. Honestly, I think this might be the point, like this of the three is where the church most struggles these days. Anybody agree? Yeah. Um, We are so unwilling to deal with anybody else's sin or weakness. We, like, Someone hurts us once and we're done. You know, I got to take care of me. Can't be around you. Got to have some self-care. Like you're not wounding other people. If we all withdrew when someone offended us, we'd all be alone. Completely. Um, Another laugh, so weird. I think some people laugh when they're uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) We say things like, oh, I'm not like that fellowship. Ooh, don't go to that church. Can you believe she's a small group leader? They are so, I won't say it. Our spirits should be crying out within us when things like that are said in our living rooms and said in our friendships. There is something wrong here. Um, There's this great quote by William Pennell. He's a professor of preaching and practical theology at Fuller. Um, And he said in one of his sermons that the ugliest four-letter word in the English vocabulary is them. It's a word that separates and divides. He says, instead, it's so important to know people's names. It's important to pray for people regularly because it's hard to dislike someone that you pray blessings on. Love requires proximity. It requires us to go into the living rooms of people we consider enemies, to bless them instead of curse them, to share a meal with them when they are hungry. 
I just read this book, One Blood, by John Perkins. It's about racial reconciliation in the church. Uh, And he suffered many terrible instances of persecution over his lifetime. Uh, But he also leaves a legacy of many multi-ethnic churches that are just beautifully living out the gospel in their cities. Uh, And in the book, he shares this African proverb that says, When I saw him from afar, I thought he was a monster. When he got closer, I thought he was just an animal. When he got closer, I recognized that he was a human. When we were face to face, I realized that he was my brother. We are looking at some people from far away, and we write them off as monsters, but God wants us to learn how to be brothers and sisters. I know that that's tough. I know that that is difficult. And look, I do want to clear some things up. I'm not saying good doctrine doesn't matter. John is actually preaching next week on a message on how to disagree in the church, and I'm really excited. Um, So, pumped for that. Um, I am also not saying that we should excuse the terrible sins of the church. I am not saying that. We should care front. We should fight for justice. I want you to do that. But I do think that God has called us not to take vengeance and instead to be people of love. So, yes, I think this passage is very difficult, and I think it applies to those difficult situations, and I would love to talk to you about them, but tonight I want to take it a little bit more myopic, okay? I want to talk about this room. Who in this room do you consider the other? In this community, here in our body, what group of people, when you speak in private to your friends, do you say them, they? Why do I do this? Okay, so God has this beautiful plan for the nations, right? It's this reconciliation of all of the people of God from every people group on earth, every family, everybody together, right? And it's this beautiful vision. You with me? But how on earth can we expect all the nations of the world to live in unity and transformation if they can't do it within their own nations where they share so much more in common, when they're so much closer And how can we expect nations to experience unity and transformation if people in cities who literally drive the same roads can't be unified, can't love each other and forgive each other? But you know, how do we expect churches and the family of God in cities to be unified if on our campus at times we can't even get fellowships to be unified? Us who are the same age and the same like life stage, you have so much in common. What does it mean when we as the body of God at UVA can't be unified? But how could we expect the body of Christ at UVA to be unified if we can't be unified here? And if I can take it one further, how could we be unified here if we don't commit to unity in core groups? We don't choose our brothers or sisters. God does. And he has called us to live as family with them. Some of you really passionately believe in God's global plan for the reconciliation and the unity of the nations. Keep that fire. Keep that drive. Keep whatever passion you have and how God is asking you to live it out. But can I tell you, if you can't live it out in your core group, you will not impact the nations. Ooh, gotta come on from Pete. Does that make sense? to see them as brothers and sisters, to pull them close to you instead of hold them far off, to look for their good, to look for their blessing, to look for their health, 
to put them first, to, like, I have a little sister and I adore her. And I would do anything for my sister. I, I, would, I would do anything for my sister. What would it look like if I did that for my small group at City Church? What would it look like if you did that for the girl next to you or the guy next to you? Um, got a little off my notes. Pull them back. I know that there is hurt in our community. And I'm not just talking about, like, like I'm not talking just racial reconciliation here, okay? I'm talking, like, gossip. I'm talking, oh my gosh, there's so many things it could be. Um, I'm talking all the, all the things that you talk about in your living room. Anytime that you're saying, how dare they, or how could they, or they're so blank. Anytime you use they or them, that's what I'm talking about. Can we be unified? Can we love one another? Can we put our hurt aside and choose forgiveness? Because can I tell you, God chose forgiveness of a lot of things for you. He forgave all of your sins so that you could not just be reconciled as a friend to him, but so you could be a child to him. He brought you into his family. Can we not do that with a brother or a sister? Um, I know that there's division because I know that there's an enemy. And I know that the enemy loves to bring division in the body. He loves to dismember it from the inside. That's a pretty gory picture. I didn't put that word in my notes either. Um, But, like, he loves to bring division. And I think it's because when we are divided, it destroys our witness. It it tears apart the image of Christ. Um, In that same book, John Perkins says, he, speaking of Satan, knows that what Jesus said before he went to Calvary was true, that if we are one, the world will believe. There is so much greater testimony in our radical, forgiving, contending love than there is in our fiery hatred. The world has enough hatred. What it lacks is unity and forgiveness. It lacks kindness. So in the beginning, we talked about the American dream, how it's based on an individualistic view rather than the more accurate view of how we all, our lives are all interconnected, that we give each other advantages or disadvantages. It matters about who you're with. Uh, God has a dream for you. He wants you to know that you are his child, that you are adopted, that you are loved and cherished by the king of the universe. Yes, this is the gospel, but there is more to it. His dream is for your family. Uh, Band, you can come up. His dream is to take so many children from different homes and different cultures and different habits and different needs and different passions to put them under one roof, to have it be that messy Thanksgiving where you bring everybody together into one place. And isn't there something beautiful about that? Isn't there something just spectacular about that? Isn't that what we're looking for in our nation and our world? Christians should be the example. Christians should be the picture of it. Um, so some of you know this about me. My, my father passed away several years ago, and uh, that was a, a, a horrific thing to happen. I, you know, it's a, an incredible loss. And for a while, my sister and I were really struggling with the concept of what it looked like to still be a part of that side of the family. Like, our link is gone. Our, our connection is gone. Um, you know, just wondering, like, are we going to be like the random cousin from the different grandparents? We're, we got a lot of second cousins. Um, the Thanksgiving I just had was with those people. 
My dad's not there, but I am. I've been given so many aunts and uncles who love me. I've been given so many cousins who don't think it's strange that I'm there. They actually just want to know how I'm doing and hear about my life. We have the blessing of still having our Heavenly Father. You know, like we have our Father with us. But will we take the blessing of the family we get to share our transformed lives with? I want you to look at who, you know, someone to your left, someone to your right, do the awkward eye contact. God wants you to know that these people are not your competition. They're not your enemy. They are his gift to you. Aw, I like the smiles. They are awkward, but they're good. Um, They're his gift to you. God's dream for us and his dream for us to look like Christ cannot be achieved on our own. They are meant to be lived out in community. We are adopted children in one house. The scriptures actually say, um, my father's house has many rooms. Not my father has many houses. You can put all your different families in them. But no, my house has many rooms. We're all under the same roof. So, let's do it together. Let's do it with love. Let's choose forgiveness. Let's choose care. Let's lay down our lives for our friends. Brothers and sisters, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed together. It's a lot better together than alone. Um, So tonight, talking about community, we wanted to end things a little differently. We wanted to end with communion. Uh, We're about to pass out the elements, uh, the bread and the cup. Uh, And if you're a follower of Jesus, please take one. Before we pass it out, I did want to say, for those of you in the room who are not Christian, I know, I know we have, you're here. I know some of you. Um, We ask that uh, you not take the elements of communion. Don't worry about it. You're doing just fine. We're glad you're here. Um, Because it's a sacred symbol for those who have received the Lordship of Jesus in their lives. It's a picture of our our unified alignment with our God. Um, And if you're not a Christian, can I say, I'm glad you're here. And I hope you actually realize you're kind of witnessing like a holy moment. Like this is something that's been done for 2,000 years to unite the body of Christ. Isn't that kind of weird? Actually, I didn't hear this concept till like this semester, which is so wild to me that it was put into words. But like the body of Christ is not just this generation. Like the body is also every generation that has loved Jesus. Like the body is so much more than even just these people. We're going to be so different from each other like us in the room with the like Roman church and they're going to be our brothers and they're going to be our sisters and the church fathers and you know just all those generations of Christians that is one body and we're called to love one another um sorry so yeah you can pass out the communion elements um when we do communion, it is a testimony and a prayer in one. It's asking God by his sacrifice to help us overcome our hurts and our hatred and instead be made people who love one another, who care for each other like family. Um, I hope this shows everyone the beauty of God and his plan for the world. Uh, and again, for those of you in the room who are not Christian, if as you watch this, um, I want you to know, God desires you to be part of this as well. He wants you to be part of the family. He wants you to be adopted in. And if that is something you want to talk about or something that you find yourself desiring as you look at this picture of unity, 
any staff member, any core group leader, any friend would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about that because we want you to be part of the family too. You are not too different. You are not too lost. You could be a brother. You could be a sister. So, um, that Thanksgiving scene earlier, that is our beautiful, messy family. And when we get to the normal passage about communion, it's 1 Corinthians 11, um, we find that Paul isn't happy with the church because it's divided, specifically over communion. Communion wasn't just a wafer in a cup. That's how it ended, but it was a meal that the family of God shared together. There's power in sharing tables together, like you just did at Thanksgiving. There's power in that what was happening is that uh, they would go to the house of a believer to share this meal, and the rich people were gorging themselves on their their know blessings and the poor people had nothing and Paul said this is not communion this is not what it looks like he said that um anyone whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves communion is is a kind of multiple images in one. Yes, it is this picture of the body and the blood of Christ that was broken and shed for us. But when we talk about discerning the body, it is also a picture of our unity. It is a picture of our aligning ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ, however different we are. And so um, Christians in the room right now, I ask that you not take this communion in an unworthy manner. If there is any hatred in your heart, to a brother or a sister, any resentments you've been holding on to, I want you to take a moment to pray and repent, to ask God to transform your heart. You might not feel it right away, but I want you to offer it to him. I want to give you a moment to do that. God hears your prayer. He is contending for unity. He can bring breakthrough. He can bring reconciliation. And let's take communion in that spirit that we can love each other like brothers and sisters in the family of God. So if you want to stand with me, I'm going to read the passage. Uh, You can hold your communion elements. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can take the cup. We are one. We are family. And this is a room of love. So as we step into our final song of worship,
sing with one voice and uh, sing as a family. I'm grateful to be with you all. We're about to step into the time of the benediction that we do every week. It comes from number six. And I wanted to share just a little bit um, before what we normally share. It's the Lord and he's talking to Moses and he's giving instructions for Aaron and the, and the priests for how they are to bless the Israelites. And it's, when he offers this, this is about how do you bless the body? It's not in the context of individuals. It's talking about the people of God. So let's receive this as, a, as one people and as a family tonight. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And in this way, I put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. I want you to have great weeks sharing yourselves, caring for one another and bearing one another in love. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.